Welcome to the Mix in the Six podcast. I'm your host, Gina Marie, and thank you for tuning in to hear stories from the Mix community in Toronto and beyond. This podcast is recorded on the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabeg, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples covered by Treaty 13. This space is all about sharing our stories, building community, and learning from one another and having fun. We hope that you enjoy this episode. Hey, do you want to learn about intuitive eating and how to implement it in your life? Do you want to stop the food guilt cycle and hang out in a place without constant diet talk? Oh, well, this place does exist. It actually exists. It's called the No Bad Foods Membership. It was created by Michelle Cordiero. She's a yoga teacher with the Good Body Feel Studio. The same studio that's been bringing us free BIPOC Sunday morning yoga classes online throughout the entire pandemic. And not only is Michelle a yoga teacher, she's a registered nutritionist who meets with people one-on-one and creates online intuitive eating courses. Now back to the No Bad Foods membership. Michelle meets with the membership every week to talk about intuitive eating, any questions that we have, and how we're doing with our balance, our body, our foods, our health. Other weeks, Michelle is doing custom movement classes for the community. And other weeks, there are special guest speakers that will come online to talk with us about things like body liberation with Katie McCringle. Now, this membership is basically something that would cost hundreds of dollars if you took them out as individual services. But Michelle's offering these at a small monthly fee. Now, I really want this community to have access to these incredible resources by true allies committed to our communities. So, Michelle is offering us 30% off the first month of the No Bad Foods membership and free access to her Introduction to Diet Culture workshop. Talks about the history of diet culture, the racist beginnings of diet culture, and how to resist diet culture in a diet-obsessed world. I really want us all, especially people of color, to have access to comfy, non-judgmental, wonderful, welcoming spaces and without all the diet talk. So claim your freedom. You can register at nobadfoodsmembership.com and the code is mixed in the six. That's M-I-X-E-D-I-N-T-H-E-S-I-X. I can't wait to see you there. Welcome. It's Michaela today, and we are talking about family as we are this season. Before we get into it, I want to just give a little announcement. So Gina's not here today for this episode, and she wanted us to share with you listeners that she has had a bit of a surgery. She had some surgery relating to her appendix, and she just wanted everyone to know that she's doing well, and she's at home recuperating. So she is fine. She's doing well. She will be back in a few episodes. And if you want to reach her, you can DM her through the Mix in the Six IG or Facebook or to her first personal IG or Facebook. All right. So here I have with me today, some awesome ladies. I have Bex and Ink Sticks and Stones, also known as Ira. Uh, They're two mixies who are musicians in Toronto. And we're going to talk about music, but also about family because our season is about family. And they both have kind of interesting stories to tell about their family experiences. And I'm excited about that because they're kind of experiences that not everyone has. And being mixed race women, your stories are naturally going to be a little bit different than maybe a monoracial person's would be. So we're going to talk about family stories and the impact of family and family history and family memories on your music. 
let me introduce these ladies properly. So we have Bex. Bex was born Rebecca Madamba. And you're an indie pop singer who was raised in an apple orchard. I love that so much. And I can't wait to talk about the apple orchard um, in Colburn, Ontario. And you write, wrote your first song at age five and kept writing. And eventually your parents got you a, a two-stick guitar, acoustic guitar, and you kept writing. Then you did your graduate studies in art and photography, but somehow you came back to music in 2014. And since then, you were chosen as the top 10 finalist in the Toronto Deputy Mayor's online talent search for your soon-to-be-released single, Supergirl. And you've become a featured artist on Sessions Live. That's where I found you on Sessions Live because I get their emails with new artists. And you were voted by fans to perform at their Idol Showcase. And your debut album, Star Trails, will be out in October. So this is Bex. Yay! Yay! Thank you for the introduction. (laughs) You're so welcome. So many things. I'm so excited. (laughs) And then we have Ink, Sticks, and Stones, and I, I want to hear more about the name and why you chose it, a.k.a. Iray Du Toussignan. Did I do it? Yes, you did. Thanks for having <laughs> me. Yes. <laughs> and Iray is a Toronto-based composer, singer, songwriter of Franco-Northern Ontario and Chinese descent. And you use a music as a way, your music as a way to explore your multicultural identity and advocate for more inclusive Canadian music scene. And your EP just came out in May the 14th. Yes, it did. Oh my goodness. So we have so much to talk about. Family stories, also new music. This is going to be really good. So both of you shared a little bit. Actually, if you could, with your story, share a little bit about your mix. I mean, Ira, we've already kind of gone through what your mix is to some degree, but you can share more about it if you'd like. And Bex, you can share your mix. But I wanted to hear more about your family stories and how they've impacted you. So Bex, I know that you've actually obviously spoken of being born on an apple orchard i know your parents also had a a cleaners was it yeah they had a cleaning business so they've always been entrepreneurs Entrepreneurs. (laughs) yes so that is really cool my dad was always an entrepreneur so that kind of put in me a bit of an entrepreneurial spirit so i'd love to hear how your experiences with your family owning different kinds of businesses and kind of like out of the or i mean most people's parents if you want to speak broadly, may work a nine to five. So even just being an entrepreneurial family is different. And then also the, just the very different kinds of work that they've done. So can you share a bit about how important those family memories, those stories, kind of being around them at that time as they were going through the different phases of their businesses, how that impacted you growing up? Mm-hmm. Going back to my my cultural background, my dad moved to Canada when he was nine years old from the Philippines. So I'm mixed between Filipino and I'll just say mixed European. Mostly my mom has a lot of German descent, but it's, it's very, very mixed. So I just say mixed but a lot of Filipino. So when my dad moved here, he, he met my mom actually in high school. So it's one of those lovebird stories where they met very, very young at 17. And he was in the boys' school, she was in the girls' school, and they somehow met in the middle. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, just one of those fairy tales where they really did fall in love right away. And they got married quite young and they started having kids. I think my mom was age 22 and she had my two older sisters who are twins as well. So that was an interesting thing growing up as well with two older twin sisters, another unique dynamic. And then, yeah, then they had me three years later. And I was actually, I was born in Cambridge, Ontario, but then we moved later in life to the farm into Colburn, um, mm-hmm. where I have a lot of my, my memories growing up. But I got to see from a very young age, like the first job I can remember with my parents is them having the cleaning business together. And they did that as a team together. And yeah, I just remember like my dad used to take me on what he called our business trips. So he just kind of instilled this thing into me at a young age where I got to see my dad in a role of like just taking charge of the business. And I think this was like age five where he would call them our business trips and we would go, we would run some errands for his job. And I got to see what that's like to be kind of your own boss at a young age. I think, I honestly think like, that's why my path was written from the beginning where I knew I could never be in a nine to five personally. My sisters went in different directions, but I think something in me just saw the way I grew up because we went from the cleaning business Then we lived on the Apple Orchard, which which was another whole venture for them as a team to just try to, which was, that was the first time I saw them struggle. 
though, because the family farm nowadays is a very difficult path. And to go from living in Cambridge, which was like a little bit bigger, and then to moving to a small town to pursue something so different um, was really hard for them. So I got to see kind of two sides of how it can be really hard to be like an independent owner of something. Mm-hmm. Do you know why they decided to own an apple orchard? I can kind of understand. And at the time, no. Me and my sisters were like, why are you doing this to us? Because at that age, we're just like, don't take us from everything we know. Because I would have been seven or eight when we moved. And then my sisters, like, they're like preteens. So this was crazy for us it was only a couple hours away from where we grew up but now that I'm the age like more of the age that they were when they would have made that decision Mm -hmm. I can see the fantasy of it because I'm even thinking about that now of just like going off to the country and like having the simple life owning some land and like you have this vision in your head of how beautiful that can be and parts of that are real and then the struggle is also just very real I'm glad I got to experience that because I think otherwise I probably would be going off to do, do the same thing right now not that there's anything wrong with that I just I can see now looking back at what they went through like what I would be up for yeah um, but I think it was just wanting to get away this like my parents grew up um well my mom especially Cambridge was seemed like a lot smaller of a town at the time when she was younger and so as it got bigger and bigger I think it was just overwhelming for her personally and she and my dad's mm-hmm. an adventurer so he was like yeah let's go buy an apple orchard so he was up for anything <laughs> That sounds like my parents. So my dad and my stepmother. My dad's like, yeah, let's go into the middle of nowhere and see if we can do it. Yeah. Why? That's the- <laughs> Why? <laughs> Live off the land. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, they have a cottage just as far as they've got, but yeah, my dad loves it up there. He just is in love with nature and living off the land. Well, yeah. let's be real. It's a general store and <laughs> we do buy groceries. Yeah. <laughs> the idea of living off the land. So it's interesting because you're talking about, I don't know, to me, it sounds like pretty exciting. The life that you're talking about. I mean, I'm sure living it, there was the day-to-day hardships of it, like owning a farm, like I can't imagine how much work that was. So the time that you spent like with your dad, but also with your family as a whole and kind of integrating your cultures, was that hard or weird? Or like, I guess what I'm getting at is, did you experience these memories at all from like both sides? Or was it just like, we're one family and this is what we're doing? Did that ever come up? Like issues of like different kinds of cultural experiences that clashed or different ways of doing things? Or was it, how, what did it work for your family? Well, like going back to like my parents first, like, like deciding to become married, that was probably the biggest like hurdle. And like, I didn't get to witness that growing up, but definitely there was a cultural thing there where it was a little bit at the time where like, oh, like you should be marrying a Filipino. So there was a bit of that tension at the beginning of the relationship, which obviously like over time healed. And I remember growing up with both sides of the family, just we were very, very family oriented. That's why it was so hard to leave and go live far away from them because all of our family was in one area, all Cambridge, my dad's side, my mom's side, and we were just all very, very close. So I have memories from both sides of the family of it all just being very, very close and supportive. So uh, yeah, I I was lucky that way. And I think it wasn't until we moved that, yeah, we, we started to feel distance from that a little bit, but just, just from pure distance. So Ira, you have a somewhat similar experience in the sense that you spent Christmases and summers in a small village called, is it Genier? Genier. Genier, north of Cochrane with your French Canadian side. So what was that like? So it seems like you spent more of your time, well, not more of your time, that part of the time, kind of the holidays, summer holidays and Christmases with your French Canadian side. How was that for you? And is that what it was? Was it that you spent kind of more time with one side than another side? Were there any special memories? And yeah, how was that for you? For one thing, in terms of the question, if I spent more time with one side versus the other, one thing that's good to know is that there is a huge age difference between me and all of my cousins from my Chinese family. I am I am the youngest by, I believe, 11 years. Oh, wow. So, so yeah, I, I, re- I have memories of spending time with them when I was really, really young. But yeah. of course, eventually everyone went off to university, mm-hmm. got married, established their lives, had their careers, and I'm still a kid. <laughs> Oh, wow. So yeah. I, I do have a lot of memories of spending time with my Chinese family and yeah. very good ones. 
But because I was so much closer in age to my French family, mm. there was like a type of, there was a, an easier way to connect there. What was really great is that despite the fact that it's a very white and very rural area, my family was brought up in a way that was very open-minded in mm. terms of other cultures, in terms of religion. I'm born and raised Roman Catholic, but there's a lot of Roman Catholic beliefs that even from my grandfather were not taught through our family. Like the whole idea of original sin, that all babies are born with sin. And my grandfather was like, that's hokey. There's no way that's possible. They're babies. <laughs> so there was a very open and communicative spirit around that side of my family. So we were always really welcomed. And me being a t like a baby, when I first met them, it was just like, yeah, they're my family. Like, of course they love me. And I just like assume that that's how it always is. And I learned through other people's experiences that that form of acceptance from the other side of the family doesn't always happen. So I do consider myself to be so blessed to come from a family that is so open-minded and is so loving. And my mm -hmm. sister, who is 11 years older than me, she has said that when she was young and she was first introduced to them, she was very nervous that she and our mom, because she and our mom, they're both from mainland China, they were not going to be easily accepted in the family. But she has always told me that from the first minute that they met them, it was just open arms and welcoming. So I'm just really happy to know that that is a part of my family, that form of acceptance. Yeah. Even yeah. if everyone outside of the family, whenever we would visit, wouldn't really want us there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just that comfort that family brings. And I did speak to both of you a bit before the podcast, and you also said that there was something to be said for being in such a wonderfully loving space, but still sometimes feeling like you didn't quite belong. Can you speak more about that? Yeah, there's, so I think it's part of everybody who's a mixed person that mm. whenever you visit one side of the family, you're the one that doesn't look like everybody else. <laughs> Yeah. So I remember there were many times that there were family reunions and me, my sister and my mom would show up. And with my, my mom, with, with my dad, people would know that, oh, that that's Leo's wife. Cause Leo's the one who married the Chinese woman. Right. <laughs> I mean, it was pretty simple considering that he was the only one who married a non-white partner. <laughs> yeah. But for me, it would always be like, well, who are you? Like, what are you doing here? And it wasn't even like the thought that maybe she's Leo's daughter. And I would have to almost explain it every single time and then be like, oh, and then they would understand. But there was always that feeling of instead of being immediately known that, oh, they are a person of the family, even if I've never met them and I have no idea who their name is. It's like I had to explain myself. Mm. And so I feel like that's already kind of a step that feels a little bit like you are an outsider, even if it is completely unintentional from the person who's asking you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a that's a true mix, mixy story is whether it's inside the family or outside, just having that experience of having to explain yourself. <laughs> what are you doing here? How did you get here? Yeah, and then you're um, explaining your existence, which is just such a weird thing because there are so yeah. many people who never have to do that. <laughs> Yes, yes, that privilege we don't, that's a privilege that we don't have. Well, some people have different experiences if they're um, white presenting and they have maybe the other experience of not being sure if they can claim, you know, the, the part of their heritage that doesn't show up in their, you know, their feet, their features or the way their, their, their parents looks. So there's just so many different issues that can come out of it. So I just thinking about both of your experiences and Bex, I know you also talked about your family and traveling and, and that was another experience that you had. What was that like for you? I guess that would be more about the experiences of the travel more so than being in your family, but maybe traveling with your family and how that felt and how your family was like a buffer system for you in the world. Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of interesting listening to Iray talk about how you feel in a family setting when you're the one that's looking different. I never really, I never noticed that happening until hindsight later, like as a kid growing up, I didn't really notice that. But the first time I actually got to really experience that feeling was through travel with my parents because the first big family trip 
Um, so I was so lucky that my, my parents just had this, like, we need to travel, just like that kind of spirit about them. And they, as soon as we were all able to travel as a family, they just made that happen. And our first big family trip was when I was 11. So it was 2001. And my mom like really, really wanted to take us on a European trip. So just to see and like appreciate her side of the family. So we started in, oh, we started in Amsterdam, but we were making our way to Germany. And so for for my dad like he was kind of a fish out of water and like it was really up to my mom to really make us feel like comfortable in like kind of her world and so she she really enjoyed that part of the trip we all enjoyed it as a family too like lots of amazing memories and that being my first experience outside of Canada too I think was so invaluable to have at such a young age to see that there's such diversity in the world like I really really feel like that kind of made me who I was into the future and then few years later when I was in high school and then my dad was like okay now we're going to the Philippines so that was the that was a big trip because that's so far away and such it's such an adventure we had a good excuse to go Uh, my dad's dad was going so we had lots of people to guide us there and that was a crazy experience because my dad didn't really use a lot of um, his language growing up Around his parents he would, but he never really spoke Tagalog around us growing up. So it was so weird and interesting as a kid to go to the Philippines with him and then just see him in his element and just speaking the language as if it was always there. He just, he kind of like, it was almost like it went dormant and then it was just like this whole other character came out. And he was, he's such a sentimental person. So that everywhere we went to, like, he was just excited about seeing all the things that he remembered as a kid. So I think that was... That hit me a lot growing up because I've definitely taken on that trait from my parents and especially my dad of being very, very sentimental and very family oriented in that light of like really cherishing those memories and holding on to them. So the Philippines was very uh, memorable for that, for sure. (laughs) That's a nice story. That kind of reminds me, my parents are Guyanese. So it's, I think it's my mixedness is a little different for me because my parents come from the same place and they're both mixed. And when you're in the Caribbean, it's kind of like, well, we're all just, you know, if you're from Guyana, you're all Guyanese. And if you're from Trinidad, you're all Trinidadian. So there's kind of this unification that happens because you're from the same place and it has its own culture, even though there's so many different races there. And I mean, I have like so many inside me. (laughs) So there's kind of like a unification. Like I have Southeast Asian in me, so I can experience that in our food. The Dutch side, my last name is Van Kuchen. I don't get to experience that that much. And I've done some research, but it's a little hard. I've kind of hit some walls with that. But, you know, my dad always raised me that I'm black. I'm going to be seen as black. So I very much got, you know, dipped into black culture through my dad. And we have Portuguese in us. I don't know that much about that side either. But in the end of the day, we were just Guyanese. So we did like a reunion trip to Guyana. And I, my dad took us to all the places he grew up. And he showed us all the places my mom grew up and some of the places my stepmother grew up. And that was really, really wonderful. Like it was just so grounding and wonderful. And like my dad took me to his aunt's house where he used to, his chore was to pull the weeds in her front lawn. And I got to see the front lawn where he would be pulling weeds when he was a kid. So it was just a really wonderful, like unifying experience. So I feel like my experience is a little different because I feel like my family just kind of holds on to that. We're all from this one place. So I wonder about your families in the sense that did you see your parents sharing their culture with each other and, you know, like how they kind of experienced each other's culture or, or didn't, maybe they just kind of was like, put that to the side. Like how did that affected how you see the world or how you treat learning about new cultures? Right. It honestly, like it wasn't until these trips that it start I started to really see the two different sides because growing up, I feel like culture wise, we just like, we grew up in a very like white area. So it just like more of like the Filipino, I guess, side to it, I think got pushed to the side a little bit. So I didn't really get to experience a lot of that, except through through family functions, of course, that was always a thing like family still was number one. But yeah, I think that's why the trip was so pivotal in getting to see that side of him come out a little bit more. Because yeah, I guess he came at a pretty young age, so he kind of just absorbed Canadian culture, whatever that is. Right. He was yeah, he was only nine, so that's true. Yeah, he's yeah, very into his becoming Canadian. Yeah. Yeah, whatever that means. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I can say that when it comes to my family, because my yeah. mom she immigrated. I can't remember if it was in her late twenties. Okay, so um, later then. So she she yes. came a lot when she yeah, was an so- adult. 
Yeah, and when she came, like she didn't speak very much English. She really spoke Mandarin and Shanghainese. And at the time, there was some English that was being taught. the The time was the Chinese Cultural Revolution, which、mm-hmm. was a very difficult, very tumultuous, and very violent time.、Mm-hmm. And what's really incredible and horrific at the same time about my mom's story is that she actually grew up without her parents. Where、mm-hmm. there's a story of family separation on my Chinese side. Because of the Cultural Revolution, and I'm not going to go into details about it, just simply because I could fill an hour long just talking about that. Yeah, it's just to say that she didn't grow up with her parents. She、mm. was brought up by different people, by her grandparents, by an aunt whom I'm actually named after. And、mm-hmm. other people, and she also had a whole period where she had no parents. When she was a teenager, she was sent to the countryside into these forced work camps. So when she came to Canada, it was because my grandparents and some of her siblings were in Canada. Essentially, they had traveled、mm-hmm. to Canada. The Cultural Revolution happened, and that just made it that the family was separated. There was no way they could come back together until borders started opening again. So any English that my mom had learned while she was in China were sentences that you would never use in North America, mostly to talk about how great Mao is and how great this government is and how we should all respect it. But people don't talk like that here. So when she arrived in Canada, she arrived having. No English really that was usable. And my dad, he grew up his entire life speaking French with some English classes. So when he went to Ottawa, because that's where my fam, both of my parents met, he was also kind of catching up in terms of the English world. So language was very big in my family, and it was very important. And it was also a lot of points of contention where it was really important for my mom to learn Mandarin. It was really important for my dad that I learn French, and everybody in the house was speaking their second or third language, which was English. So you can see how communication wasn't always easy, but my parents definitely found a way through it. And unfortunately, we only found out this year, my mom and I, that the Mandarin teachers that I had were really not good. Hence, why I'm not really able to speak it. I'm better at reading it, and also just that language is something that you don't learn; you have to live it. So, if you're not in an environment where you can speak to more than one or two people, it's really hard to learn it and to keep it and to practice it. So, it was through language that the different cultures were very obvious. They were very present, and I did everything that I could to take in as much as I could whenever I could. But it was it wasn't always easy, that's for sure.、Hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Sometimes I know for myself, I can get a little bit in my head like, oh, everybody's experience is kind of homogenous, you know, like oh, this, everybody's story is like this one other person's story. And I, every time we get to talk about, especially family, you get to hear different stories.、Uh, Melanie was sharing on our genealogy episode that we just had that about the the kind of struggles that her. Chinese side went through before they came to Canada, when they came to Canada, and it just makes my heart like happy to know that people have survived, been resilient, and then we get to exist because of it, and we get to share their stories. So thank you for sharing that. What's interesting is that your family, well, your mother's side, she'd been through so much, and obviously there was some maybe conflict, you know, just kind of trying to get the cultures to mix in your family. But it also sounds like there was just so much love there and so much acceptance there, and and for you, Bex, as well. And I love a research. I'm a research nerd. <laughs> So in preparation for this, I was reading an article. I didn't pay too much attention to where where it was from, but just to kind of get my brain going about the topic. And one of the things that might feel like a given but may not be obvious is that people who have really great family memories have better mental health because that experience you have when you're younger, being accepted and loved, just leads to a better result later on. And the grief. They have even as they get older. At that loss of connection is very, very deep and intense. So meeting people like that, I think, wow, like, poof, what would that be like if I didn't have the loving experience I I had? What you think about that concept in the first place of mental health and and family relationships? Well, I'll definitely admit that my relationship with my family wasn't always roses. There were some really, really difficult and really hard times, and a part of it is definitely the conflict of. The different cultures, and I don't just mean the Chinese side and the Franco-Ontarian side, but there's also that the like majority English culture that is in there, and that's one that 
we all just live by default, especially if you're living outside of Quebec. So there was a lot of, there was a lot of, I don't want to say fighting in the family, but just that like feeling of fighting to protect your language and to protect your heritage and to honor where you came from and to continue to do that. And definitely when I was a kid, I didn't really understand that at all. For me, it was just kind of like, I just want to watch my TV shows and like listen to my music. Like what's what's the big deal? But definitely as a, an adult now, I understand a lot more of these struggles that my parents had with me, with each other. And I've also found that as I've gotten older, that I'm seeking far more to understand my Chinese roots. And despite the fact that the spoken language is something that I struggle with a lot, I really want to understand what that is, what those ideals are. And as my mom opens up more and more over time, I get it more. And I understand where she came from. And I understand now how some things could have just been so hard for her. And it caused a lot of problems in the family, but we've repaired all of that. It took a lot of talking, a lot of feelings, a lot of hugging, <laughs> but eventually we got through all of those conflicts. And I definitely feel like I understand them both a lot better now. Ooh, like mental health in general too is just something that I especially over COVID I've just just started delving into so now I can look back and see things from a different point of view because yeah this, how things can just get buried deep with inside our bodies and how that can really take a toll on who, who you are as a person so it's kind of I've been spending the past year actually kind of digging into my my own like my own self. So I've had to dig up things from the past to just kind of reflect on and be like, okay, so like that's where that trait comes from or that's where like that pattern comes from. So I find the topic really interesting right now. And I've looked back at things just like the first thing I think of is just my dad I'm pretty inspired by because I think he's the first person I think where I think of the conflict that he had to go to is somebody who yeah person of color coming from the Philippines at a young age and then having to adapt to a more like white culture here and going through some struggles there like a little bit of yeah just like outright racism when he was younger that I didn't find out about until I was older and then knowing him and seeing him and how he lives how he was still able to give so much love because thinking about how like that affects a person mentally or could affect them mentally I think about that now and I think about like how much does he suppress or like how much was suppressed because he's such a happy person or that's like that's the father he was and that's the father he like that's that I grew up with and I think of how strong of a character that that makes a person um, if they're able to to deal with that and still be able to to raise a family with lots of love from what I experienced. <laughs> Yeah, with the subject of mental health, I definitely recognize now more as an adult, as I know more about my mom's story, the the trauma that she lived, mm -hmm. and for many, many, many years. And it's something that I can see has in some way been transferred to my sister and I. Mm -hmm. And that's when you kind of really start to understand that their intergenerational trauma is very real. It's, it's not just like something that people make up to try to argue how they're feeling. No, it is very real. And as much as my mom did as much as she possibly could to protect us from that, when it's that deep inside of you, it's unfortunately a part of who you are. And I applaud my mom for the extreme resilience that she has to have survived what she did and to have moved to a country where she didn't speak the language and didn't have any money and just like figured it out and built a family. My sister and I, we haven't really talked about this stuff until the last maybe five years. And I know a lot of it is the age difference and like I had to grow up and become an adult and be in a position where I'm able to emotionally and intellectually understand what's happened within the family. And it's been also very therapeutic for my sister and I to be able to talk about these things very openly. And even just with all of the anti-East Asian hate that has just like swelled for over a year and it has changed some aspects of my life, unfortunately. We had the first talk where we actually spoke about our experiences, but not in like some dismissive way or just trying to be like, this is just what happens and it's normal and we just have to deal with it. And we were finally able to be like, no, this is not okay. And we shouldn't have to deal with this. So being able to connect with my sister on that level has definitely vastly improved my mental health in being able to express intergenerational trauma and present struggles. That's incredible. Yeah. It's not just, a, it's about all of the family around you. I, it's just, I'm just fascinated by the impact of our families on us. I feel like 
because we're in North America, this is my personal opinion. We're a very individualistic society. So like, you know, you get to a certain age, you move out where there's cultures and societies where people live with their parents until they get married or even when they have a spouse or a partner they move into the family's house together and so there's just this this like the community of the family is always together whereas I find North American culture is very much like okay you're you become your own person and then you move mm-hmm. on so it just feels like there's a disconnect sometimes between it's like the person the individual and where they come from and it's really nice to have these conversations about really just acknowledging where we come from whether it's good or bad if you want to use that word or just the challenges and getting through them because I think it's really valuable to just not discount you know the past generations that have come before us so speaking about that I know for you Ira you've had your EP that came out it's called Vast so tell us about that a bit Vast is a five-piece instrumental EP and it's definitely mixes many themes together. One is just my absolute love of nature, of the boreal forests, the ones that I knew growing up and still know occasionally in Northern Ontario. And just that I'm in like awe of this like powerful, beautiful, vast expanse of mother nature that is just like giving life to everybody on the planet, to Mm -hmm. every creature. Without them, we would just perish. So there's, it's an homage to that. It's also reflected of my experiences of going to Northern Ontario, visiting my family, feeling accepted and loved by them, but excluded by everybody else. Mm. So it does touch on that feeling of like, well, where do I belong? Because I thought I belonged, but now I'm being told that I don't. So what is my place? And then the other level of it definitely touches on my Chinese heritage, which is this whole concept of nobody else looks like me. My culture does not exist here. How do you manage through that? And how do you find a space that is safe for you to express who you really are? And is this a space where other people will be okay with that or will you be shunned for it? So I do explore it uh, musically um, in the five movements. I have one song where it's a duet of two arhus, which are the Chinese violins. Mm -hmm. And it's this whole kind of dance between the two of them where they're trying to find each other because it's like they're trying to find somebody else who is like them, that Mm -hmm. they can grow together and be safe together. And then in the last- Thank you. And then in the last movement, um, that's when all of the instruments come in and then there's a whole string ensemble orchestra and the arhu comes in. And at first it's very apprehensive and it's alone. But the idea is that eventually it does feel welcomed and it is able to integrate itself within the strings. And I'm very careful of saying integrating and not assimilating because the arhu does not lose its tone, its voice, its way of communication. It doesn't start sounding like a violin, a Western violin. It's very much itself, but welcomed by the strings. Oh, I love that. Oh my goodness. I am so excited. I think I've listened to one of the pieces on that I'm trying it was a while ago I'm trying to remember which one but I think it's on your band camp it may have been three because that's the first single that came mm. out okay yeah that's the so one. might be that one yeah yeah so now I'm excited to get the whole story yeah yeah there's also a, a whole video experience that comes with it so I did individual I make my own videos and I or I hire other people to work with me so there's a video for every single song and what I tried to use is literally color, a color palette to talk Mm -hmm. about those experiences. So in the first song, the video happens in winter. So it's very white, black and brown. There's not a lot of color, maybe just a little bit of green. And it's just kind of like this blank canvas of just like anything can be put there. This is where color is invited. And in the second one, that's when you have the mutan, that's the red peonies that are very well known in China. And you also have a Tanhua, which is known as the queen of the night. Anyone who has seen Crazy Rich Asians, the scene where there's a huge party and all of yes. these flowers blooms and everybody starts yeah. drinking, that's yeah. the plant. <laughs> oh. yes. So that's the first one where we see a color that's not green. The plant yeah, that's so hanging over that. them as they go through the... It's, as they're, 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 they're a cactus, so they're a potted oh. plant. And okay. in this movie, I believe they were all like kind of assembled together on a giant table. Oh, okay. I'll have to watch it, rewatch. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to use colors like red and yellow and orange as representation of people of color. And that also happens in the, so in the third video, it's all green. 
because it's not about the visible minority experience. And I kind of use green as the like homogenized color of the space of the forest. In the fourth one, color comes back because I'm shooting in the fall. And the whole idea is various ecosystems who all work together and how it takes different parts to make it work, which I very strongly believe is also part of the Canadian experience, that we need diversity, we need different cultures to survive, we need immigration as a country to exist. And then in the last video, you have the representation of the of these little like sparsely colored trees over an aerial shot of a forest. And I was very specific that where those trees were and what color they were and how many they were, because they're the idea is that those colored trees represent visible minorities in more rural areas that are predominantly white and how they're not always able to connect to each other, that they're far apart from each other, but that they do exist and that they bring something beautiful to the landscape. So I explored audio and visual and I'm just all about that. Oh, that's beautiful. Awesome. So now it's like totally understanding how you go through the, the pieces of, of the five parts of the series. And so why ink, sticks and stones? I chose it because, well, for one thing, I just wasn't comfortable using my name as a label. It's just a personal preference. And also my name is one that people, most people already have trouble learning and remembering and saying. So I was just like, I'm just going to avoid that whole thing because I already have to do it on a daily basis. <laughs> so I chose Ink, Sticks and Stones based on the ancient tools that are used to do writing, to do calligraphy in China. So you have an ink stone that you add water and then you mix it with an ink stick and that becomes your ink that you write with. And yeah. I'm also someone who I really like to write my songs by hand. Like I'll literally have a blank sheet music at my piano and I'll be writing the notes as I'm going. And it's like, that's my first process before I go to the computer and I actually put it all digitally. Wow, I love that. I'm so glad I asked. So yeah, back to style. I we haven't really talked about this before, but how your family experience has impacted your music and maybe even the reason why you're in music. Yeah. First of all, Ira, that story is amazing. I just love the way that you combine artistry and music together. Now I can't wait to check out the full thing because similar to Michaela, I was I listened to one, but now I have way more context. So now I want to hear it all. Cool, thanks. <laughs> That's amazing. I was another really lucky thing that I'm really grateful for growing up is how my parents if they saw something I was like any of us, me and my sisters were interested in, they wanted to immediately foster that. So music at a young age, I think I said it in my bio at five, me and my sister, we grew up listening to a lot of country music randomly. So I wrote this weird country song that was like so not age appropriate either. It was like, I don't know where I got these words in my head, but I'm five and it was like, come on baby, come ride in my limousine. It was like this weird love song. And I didn't, I didn't know all the words. So Sarah, my <laughs> sister, she had to come. And I remember it so vividly, like we were just on my bed and I'm like, I need you to write this out for me. Cause I have this brilliant song in my head, but you need to write it out. Cause I don't know how to spell all the words. So I just from have to say that I love this story so much, <laughs> like just so much. And how old is your sister? So she would have been, so I was five. She would have been around eight. So not. she's like eight and she's like, yeah, can you write the words? Because I can't spell them. That is fantastic. That was our, <laughs> our first collaboration, <laughs> which actually like now, because I've never thought about my music actually in relation to family like this until this moment with you guys. So that's interesting to think about because we ended up collaborating last year together, me and my sister, because she ended up becoming quite the poet, even though that's mm -hmm. not her field. She's just a really good, she's just describes things so beautifully. So I wanted to collaborate with her eventually. And we kind of wrote songs over the years, kind of highlighting pivotal moments in our lives. So we ended up putting out an EP, just kind of, yeah, just immortalizing that, that expression. So we put that out as a team. And sorry to like backtrack back to like when I was growing up, I think it was going through high school, my parents really started to see me just like engage mostly with the arts, like musical mm -hmm. theater, vocal classes. And that's when they, they encouraged me to just keep going with that. Because I think it, that's one of the things a lot of musicians struggle most with is uh, not necessarily having people back mm -hmm. you up and that can hold you back so much longer if you don't have a support system around you that's like cheering you on for sure. So. Yeah. I would not be doing this uh, without 
that kind of support for sure. I don't, I don't think so. Maybe, maybe it just would have taken a lot longer. <laughs> Who knows? So yeah, I thought it was interesting in your bio, your parents gave you a guitar in high school, but you still went and got a degree and then a graduate degree, right? So yeah. was that them that wanted you to go to school first before you pursue music or you just decided or? How did that go? I put the pressure on myself because Mm -hmm. like I said, like my parents were very much like, just choose what you want. Just like, like, just, you have to pick something though. And then it's that pressure that we all feel at the end of high school where it's like, well, I can't not go to school. We're looking back. I maybe, maybe, I probably would have done different choices, but I had to pick a degree. So I picked a degree originally in general arts because I love all arts. So Mm -hmm. I was like, I can't pick one thing. So I picked this general arts where it combined film, photography, music, arts and culture. And it was a really interesting program, but I focused my concentration because you have to pick a focus in the second year. I focused on art curation because after a chat with like one of my mentors, they were saying like, oh, I feel like you'd be good in this. Like, why don't you try focusing in this? And I really just didn't know who I was at the time to make that decision. So, and I ended up focusing on visual art, which leads you to like only so many jobs because it was art curation specifically. So Mm -hmm. not like, I realized later in life, I'm more of an applied learner. Like I want to be the artist, not like study the art, but I didn't. I, just, I, I needed a job that would eventually lead to something and this led to becoming an art director. And then later I found out like, okay, so to become an art director, I need to get my master's. Oh, so okay. I looked into all these programs mm-hmm. and photography because I also love photography. That was just, just, I just chose something that spoke to me and I'm really glad I did because it brought me to Toronto. And I don't know if I would have made the decision to move to this city if I didn't take that program because I was a little afraid of it, to be honest, like coming from a small town, I was like, oh, it's so big. But once I moved here, this was like the first moment where I felt truly like this is my home. Like I just felt so free here. And Mm. I I think a lot of that too is just also like feeling like there's so much diversity around you that you don't feel like you stick out anymore. You just feel like you kind of get to blend in with the rest of the scene and find where you want to be and who you want to be mm, so. so nice it the right I'm glad path. you yeah that's awesome I'm glad you came I, I was born in Toronto and I love like I just I adore Toronto so much and so and I've had people like come from like Kingston like my university boyfriend was from Kingston and his friends are like oh my god we're gonna get shot and I'm like uh no because <laughs> we're like walking down the young street and they're like all cowering these tall boys and I'm like no (laughs) it's just like when you really actually get invested in Toronto as a city it's just so amazing so amazing so much great food (laughs) but I digress (laughs) so last question we like to ask everyone this question at the end of the podcast what makes you proud to be mixed and then how can people reach you personally if you prefer or professionally and how can they find your music feel like this question could go into so many directions. (laughs) I think that with my mix, I'm just very proud of coming from two sides that really had to work and fight for the right to live in the world that they did. Because I did talk about the Chinese side, but there's a long history of French education being suppressed in a lot of provinces and of French people being treated as below English. It's lot more even now and there's a lot of laws that have been put in place so it's a much better space but uh, that was a fight that uh, my family did have to go through before I was born and I've definitely benefited from that immensely so yeah I think I'm just proud to come from two sides who stand their ground who say that we have a right to be here we have a right to speak our language we have a right to practice our cultural heritage and it's not gonna bring anything bad (laughs) it's actually just gonna make things better So I think that's part of my pride of being mixed and something that I want to bring into the music scene in Canada and to not have one thing that happens with my music is because I introduce Chinese instruments in it. I'm very quickly cast in world music in another category, which I completely do not understand at all because I am Canadian. The engineers are Canadian. The musicians are Canadian yet I am not Canadian when it comes to music. So that is something that I feel that I want to continue in the like fight for the right to exist, that Western sounds do not determine what a Canadian sound is. 
it is diverse, it is different, and that we have to just start accepting that. Amen. Like, yeah, FK Twigs was saying that before people knew who, what she looked like, people were like, oh, this was this new genre of music. It mixes elect- electronic music with all these different other things. And then when they saw her face, like, oh, it's R&B. And so she speaks about that. And it's like, yeah, it's upsetting, but I'm so glad you're taking on just the kind of the movement, the fight to kind of just have all people kind of recognized and experiences recognized in, in, our, in our city, in our country. And I think that the definition of Canadian is something that and not just Canadian, but with a lot of countries, it's just always evolving. And we have mm-hmm. to be ready to evolve and to change and to accept it and to mm-hmm. always just bring it into the right direction, which is a more inclusive space. Yeah. And how, pe- how can people reach out to you and right. find your music? Yes. So I, my social media, I am most active on Instagram. I am also pretty active on Facebook. So you can just find me on either at I-N-K-X-N-S. And my music is available on Spotify, Deezer, Apple Music. If you want to buy it, it is also on Bandcamp. You just look up awesome. Ink, Sticks, and Stones and you'll find me. Awesome. Bex? Similar. Yeah, similar to IRA, like just growing up and being proud to having getting the unique experience of two different very different sides and getting that cultural diversity at a young age instilled in me to like live a a more like inclusive diverse life and being more I think it definitely attunes to like my more adventurous spirit that I feel like helps define who I am in this world so getting to share that with others and let them know that that exists within all of us as, as people we don't have to like box ourselves into just one thing you can be so many things and I like to think that that's kind of what Canadian identity is at its core don't we're not a box. We're not a label. <laughs> like we're more than that. We're survivors. Awesome. So well said. And how can people find you? Best way is to go to my webpage at so thebexmusic.com where it'll link you to my Spotify, YouTube. And I'm also mostly active on Instagram at thebexmusic and more recently TikTok <laughs> trying to get in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. <laughs> I have so many thoughts about TikTok. Just, you're wow. much braver than I am, Bex, because TikTok is one that I don't even know how I can even start. And I just feel so just, old saying that. Just, start. <laughs> just do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's fun. I definitely got into it at the beginning of the pandemic. There's so much. Yeah. There's actually a lot of live music that I got to enjoy on TikTok at the beginning of the pandemic, but like how to figure out how to post something and do a video and all the things, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It's an art for sure. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Thank you so much, both of you for being here. I've had such a great time. I love talking about music. And so it's really nice to um, talk about family, but also talk to some wonderful musicians from Toronto who are of mixed race. So everyone can find out who you are and how to find you and support you because we really do love to support everyone in our community. It's really kind of one of the best parts about being in our community. So thank you for joining our community. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you, Michaela. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Mixed in the Six podcast. Like what you hear and want to support mixed race stories and topics? Head on over to our Patreon for more bonus content. We have cheesy topics such as sexuality, wellness, gender, interviews with special guests and experts, as well as Mixed in the Six merch, all at patreon.com forward slash Mixed in the Six. For a monthly subscription starting with $7 a month, it really, really helps us keep the project going and we will love you forever. And of course, you can show us love on social media, like, comment, subscribe, give us a review and DM us with your mixy story. We love you and talk to you soon. I'm say I'm young.